Amen. I'm so glad I know the power can take in the name of Jesus. Because there is no other name in heaven, even among men, whereby we are saved. Amen. I'm so glad to know the name of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to go with me this morning to the book of John, chapter 21. Pick up most of it, I believe, but just, just a few verses before you're seated. I'll just tell you that, so you can keep your finger there if you want to. John chapter 21, I'd like to begin reading in verse 18, where the Lord says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, walked where thou wouldest. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, carry thee whither thou wouldst not. Lord Jesus is the one speaking here, and he's talking to Peter. It says in verse 19, This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus said unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. The Lord said, Peter, don't, don't worry about John. Don't worry about the path that he's going to walk. I've got one for you. I've got plans for you. I want you to follow me. So I want to preach to you for just a little while this morning on this man. This man. Would you lift up your hands to voices with me? Oh, Lord, we love you. God, we're so thankful to be in your So thankful to be in your presence. Oh, Lord, we lift up your holy name to give you glory. Oh, we ask you to stay with us. Lord, let your spirit remain until your work is done. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for God's word. Amen. I've I, I jumped you right into the middle of this conversation, right into the middle of this discourse that that the Lord and Peter are having. So I want to I want to take you back and make sure you've got the full context of, of what's going on. If you go back to verse one, this is this is after the Lord has died and been buried and resurrected again, and he has shown himself to his disciples already. But verse one it says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise, he showed himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee 
and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I'm going fishing. It sounds like some folks around here sometimes. I'm going fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Also sounds like some folks around here. Verse 4 says, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any feet? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. And therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Somebody was having some deja vu. They've been down this road before. They've been out on the boat before and caught nothing all night long. And, and the day that the Lord called him, he said, throw the net on the other side of the ship. And, and when they did, they had so many fish, they couldn't even bring it in. And, and the nets were beginning to break. And so when deja vu hits John, he says, hey, Peter, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, and they were not far from the land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on and bread. And Jesus said unto them, What you bring the fish you've caught? <coughs> he was waiting on the shore, and he already had fish. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net in the land full of great fishes, 150 and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus said unto them, Come and die. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus did come and take bread and give it them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. And it's in that context, in that setting, that this conversation specifically with Peter begins to happen. Because it says, so when they had died, when dinner was over, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, feed my lambs. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. So it, it doesn't take a lot of theological discernment to, to make some connections here. That Peter, the man that told the Lord, I'm never going to deny you. I'm going to always be by your side. There's nothing that can separate us from death. That same Peter was the one that after Jesus said, you'll deny me three times tonight, he in fact did that. 
and had denied the Lord and said that I, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know him. So it's not that hard to draw a line and realize what's going on in the heart and mind of Peter right now. That when he said it the third time, that he became grieved that the Lord would keep asking him this question because Peter knows how many times he denied the Lord. So Peter here is having a very emotional conversation with the Lord. And all of his failures and all of his shortcomings are being laid bare before the Lord Jesus. The Lord is reminding him of his failure. Reminding him of where he's been. Reminding him of how unworthy he is. But that's not all he's doing. That's the only thing that the devil does. It's the enemy of your soul that would convince you that all is lost and there's no hope. So you might as well just grab the boat and go fishing. But it's the Lord that comes to you to call you back to the place where you belong. If the only thing that voice in your ear is telling you that you're lost and you're undone and you're never going to make it, then you need to whip yourself around and say, get me behind me, Satan, for you're an offense unto me. Because that's not the voice of God. The voice of God, when He draws you to a place of conviction, when He draws you to a place where you realize your sin, it's that voice that says, now I want you to get up and I want you to follow me. I want you to get up and I want you to resume what I called you to do. The Lord is reassuring him, not that he sinned, but that everything is now alright. That everything is going to be put back together the way God wants it to be. Now, how often do we fall into that trap? How often do we find ourselves listening to the wrong voice? How many people come to church and get moved on by God, but they don't go down to the altar because they believe Jesus won't forgive? They don't make a start for God because they're convinced that they've done too much. They've gone too far. Their sin runs too deep for the Lord ever to clean their lives up when it's simply not the truth. First John 1 and 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? Just as faithful as every word of God, just as faithful as the sun to come up in the morning and the moon to rise at night, if I confess my sins, if I go back down to an altar, if I reach out to God one more time, He will hear and He will forgive. You're listening to a voice that tells you nothing but your sin. It's not the voice of God. Because the voice of God is always calling men to repent. Always calling men and women to come home and to retain their rightful seat as the son of the king. So, the Lord wanted to make 
make sure that Peter didn't live in that hole he just fallen in. Because remember, it was Peter that had the bright idea. Hey, let's go fishing. Why would Peter have such a bright idea? Because Peter was a fisherman. That was his occupation before the Lord called him. That's where the Lord found him when he said, come on out of the boat and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter had failed and Peter had stumbled and Peter had made some mistakes, but it was not the will of God to Peter for Peter to take up the dead again. It was not the will of God for Peter to go back to the place that he come from and live his life like nothing had ever happened. He was still a fisher of men. He was still a soul winner. He was still an apostle of the most high God. And Jesus never come him out of that boat to get him out of that pit of condemnation. And he would keep on walking in the way that God had called him to walk. God wasn't just now calling him to feed his sheep. He'd been called to feed his sheep. He wasn't just now calling him to be an apostle. He'd been called off that boat already. Peter just fell into the trap of condemnation. But it is obvious from these scriptures that that's not the only hole that Peter fell into. It's not the only hole that you and I can fall into either. This is really what I've come to preach about today. Because just as Peter fell into a hole of condemnation, he also obviously fell into a hole of comparison. Comparison. See, for most of the New Testament, Peter really compares pretty poorly against the Apostle John. I mean, he, he, nobody, it doesn't even really seem like anybody was arguing with this title that John seemed to have acquired, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Even the humble John wrote it down in the gospel that he wrote. It didn't seem like anybody was really arguing that they were the favorite instead of John. John seemed to kind of have that one all wrapped up. John's the disciple whom Jesus loved, and John was the disciple that laid his head over on Jesus at the Last Supper. And John is seemingly the one that is closer than everybody else to the Lord. And then there's Peter. Oh yeah, Peter's the one that preached on the day of Pentecost. But, you know, Peter was the one, he, he was the one that walked on water. But he was also the one that sank. Peter gets to go up to the top of the mountain of transfiguration, but it was also Peter that while he was there, managed to somehow put his foot in his mouth and say dumb stuff. Peter was the one that was the first to be courageous enough when the Roman soldiers showed up to pull out a sword and to defend God, only to have the Lord turn around and tell him, put it up. Peter is the only one of the disciples that is recorded as the Lord looking him eyeball to eyeball and calling him the devil. All throughout the New Testament, it just seems like John always seems to get it right. Peter always seems to get it wrong. But here in this story, 
In this part of his life, seemingly Peter gets it right. He's humble. Maybe he's been humble, but nonetheless, he's now humble. And he's, he's repentant for what he's done. He, the Bible says that after he, after he denied the Lord, he went out and wept bitterly. He, he's repentant before God. And, and Jesus came specifically to talk to Peter. It wasn't the first time he specifically had a word for Peter, but, but it kind of almost seems like the first time Peter seems to get the message. Peter really seems to, to be gotten through from the Lord. And, and, but as soon as Peter has the Lord tell him that he's going to live a life that glorifies God, and he's going to die a death someday that glorifies God, the first thing that Peter manages to get out of his mouth is, but what about John? What about John, Lord? What is going to happen to him? Where is he going to go? What is he going to do? Now, now we can't we, we can't put ourselves in the heart and minds of Peter. You know, maybe we should give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe he has a deep love for John. He's his brother. Maybe he's thinking, Lord, I want to make sure you've got something for him. Maybe that's what he was thinking. I don't know. But just as likely, he also could have been thinking, I want to find out. What's my path going to be as compared to his? Where am I going to end up as compared to where he's going to end up? I mean, he's the, the undisputed champion of the Lord, the, the love of Jesus at this point. So I, I want to know, what does he get to do? Have you ever fallen into that trap before? Do you not witness because you're not a preacher? Do you not do work for God because you don't pastor a church? Do you not teach somebody the word of God because you're not a Sunday school teacher? Do you not sing in the choir because the choir won't give you a microphone? Amen. Do you settle for doing nothing? Do you settle for doing nothing because you can't do what somebody else can do? Maybe, maybe, maybe it never happens to y'all. So I'll, I'll just be a little transparent about some comparison this morning. I want to be a good neighbor. But folks, I live beside the best neighbor in the world. I'm very particular about my yard. Just ask Marshall. I want it to look good. And yet, I got more weeds than I got grass. And I live beside the man with the best yard in the neighborhood. I want to be important on my job, and yet and I'm not all that important on my job. I want to be able to build things like other men can build things. You know, Bobby Ogle said, they can build anything. I just I want to be able just to look out the backyard and say, oh, I'm in the shed there. Just go put one up all by myself. I ain't got the skills to do it. I want to be able to fix all the stuff that happens to my car instead of having to go pay a mechanic to do it, but I've learned the hard way I can't always fix it. I want to be able to run farther and run faster than other folks, and yet Maddie still leaves me in the dust. Campbell's not far behind. I want to be able to meet people better. I want to be able to make friends really easily, and yet Marshall's never met a stranger in 18 years of his life. 
Now let's get spiritual about it. I grew up going to youth camp with Aaron Bounds. We're the same age, church. He's been a full-time evangelist. Everything he's ever done, he's done while singing and playing instruments and hitting every basketball shot he shoots. And now he's a bishop over multiple churches, and it just seems like he can't meet anybody without talking to him five minutes, and then they're speaking in tongues, praying through the Holy Ghost. That's who I grew up watching. I'm friends with missionaries, church. I see things online. You know, Brother Rosario can't even have church without somebody getting the Holy Ghost. I mean, it just seems like work. I'm friends with people that, that, that leave everything behind. And they go to a place on the other side of the world and they make something out of nothing. They make something with their own bare hands out of nothing. And I didn't put this pulpit here. I didn't build this church out enough, and I'm a third generation in this thing. I walked into a work already that has been done and created. And thank God for it. But you can fall into the trap of looking at yourself, not in the context of God, and not in the context of what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be, but in the context of somebody else. And I'm not just preaching to me today. I've seen others quit because they wanted to minister to 200, but only two showed up. I've heard others say they can't go work for God until this happens, or that happens, or this falls into place. I've seen those who weren't willing to push a broom because they didn't have a pulpit to stand behind. Or there are those that every time God stirs them to do something, the only thing they can think about is something that they cannot do. Or that somebody is doing what they wanted to do already. How did the Lord answer? He said, what is that to you? He wasn't telling him, don't care about your brother. He wasn't telling him, don't pray for your brother. He wasn't telling him, get in there beside your brother and dig the trenches and, and do the work and win the souls. What he was telling him is, Peter, I've called you to be Peter, and I've called John to be John. And John's going to walk the road, you're not going to walk. And you're going to walk the road, John's not going to walk. So Peter, finally, at this last few moments before I ascend into the heavens, I want you to get this straight. I want you to do what I've called you to do. Go and feed my sheep. There are souls, there are people that have spent half a lifetime sitting idly by, not doing anything for God because they're waiting on something to fall into place. They're waiting on something else to happen. Those things might happen. Those things might fall into place. But if they're not happening today, do what you can do today. Be a witness today. Do a Bible study today. Pray for somebody today. Be who God called you to be today. It's not just a message for preachers. Although they have a tendency to be guilty of it. There's times we can sit back and you can look on social media just like I can. Wonder why the revival ain't hitting for sight like it's hitting the church down the road. 
wonder what must it be like to go and be able to worship to a choir singing of a hundred and we just got three or four. And you ain't got to dig all that hard to find a better preacher than this one. I can give you a few. I can give you a list pretty quick. It's easy. We're living in a day where we're exposed to more opportunities to compare than we ever have been in all our life. It don't take long to sit back and start looking around. And I will tell you, the devil better than anybody can point out fault. One of his titles is the accuser of the brethren. <laughs> he, he, don't, he don't have to dig all that hard to find sin because he's the one that's stuck it inside of you to begin with. He can sit back all day long and find fault and find problems and find all these reasons why you can't. Peter can find any reason all day long about why he couldn't, but God wanted him to find one reason why he could. The first thing he looked at was John and wanted to know what road John was going to walk down when the Lord was giving him direction on the road that he wanted him to walk down. I've come to tell somebody today, get up, do a work for God, be a witness, teach something, pray for something, get up and be who God called you to be. This can fall the other direction too. Maybe your relationship is slipping. Maybe you're not doing all that God wants you to do, but instead of being convicted, instead of listening to that conviction that God gives you to simply get you back on track, instead of allowing that conviction to get you straightened out and realign your priorities and put everything back the way God wants it to be, you instead point out to God well, at least, better, never. Oh, it happens to Well, I know God wants me to go over there and do that, but I've already put in four hours in the church this week, and ain't nobody else put in four hours. I'm not going to go over there and do that thing I know that I can do and kind of feel like God wants me to go over there and do it because ain't nobody else done anything. You're not going to find a church anywhere that don't have folks in it not doing it. That's a pretty bad grammar, but that's kind of the way I feel about it. There's no church anywhere on this planet where you're not going to find somebody taking up space, somebody collecting dust, somebody sitting back waiting on somebody else to do it. That's always going to be. But what is that to you? What is that to me? If God called me to do a thing, then I need to do it. If God gave me the ability to do something in the church, then I need to do it. It don't matter that there's 28 other people that can sweep a porch. It don't matter that there's 58 other people that can mow the lawn. If I can do it, I'm going to go over to the house of God and do it because that's what God gave me to do. Because the devil likes to use that against us as well. <laughs> when we start looking at the inside, we're not looking at the center. We ain't talking about all the folks who didn't come to church this morning. I'm talking about our brothers and sisters in the Lord, because that's who I'm staring at. Well, at least in, in, in the scoreboard, I'm up to talk to you. I've been to church three times this week, and I pray twice a day, and I put in my time. 
And surely if anybody's going to heaven, I, I got to be in that crowd. Don't say you're not in that crowd. I hope we're all in that crowd. But are we allowing that to stop us from what God wants us to do? I'm not going to do it because nobody else is doing it. I'm not going to go because nobody else is going to go. I'm not going to go over there and do that because I've already done something else. I'm thankful for those that have put in hours and days and weeks and months of work. I'm thankful for all those things. But it don't matter how many hours I logged last month. The Bible says sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. It don't matter if I prayed four hours yesterday. i got to get in the prayer closet today. It don't matter if I read 25 chapters yesterday. i got to get in the Word today. It don't matter that I've sat in the house now the previous two weeks. I can't come into the house of God and sit on my hands because ain't nobody else doing it. God's looking at us today saying, Feed my sheep. Do what I want you to do. Don't worry about this man. Jesus said, what is that to you? Because I see other things happen in the world, I want something to do. I remember as a child hearing people talk about going to some mission field, getting up and preaching the message, 500 people being filled with the Holy Ghost. I have no idea what that even looks like. No clue. But I'm a preacher. No preacher worth his salt. Don't want to get up and preach a message and the whole church descend on the altar and everybody go home filled with the Holy Ghost. But when I come in here on a Sunday and nobody gets filled, I got to come back Sunday night. When you prepared for three days and you just knew when you got to that Sunday school class, it's coming together today. I just feel it in the spirit. Everything is going to happen today. These babies are going to get down and they're going to pray through and they're going to be speaking in tongues. And when you get there, only one out of seven shut up. And nobody's speaking tongues and nobody did anything supernatural. You know what you got to do? You got to go back and do it again. Oh, the Lord, I put in all that time. I can just let everything slide this week. No, because next week might be the time it all comes together. Tomorrow might be the class. And then all the time to be filled with the Holy Ghost. The Lord is looking at His church, wondering why are you concerned about what's happening out there when I call you? Call you. The 23rd verse of that chapter says, Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. This is what Jesus did say. If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to me? Those hard-headed disciples still weren't listening. And the rumor just got spread all around that the Lord said, John ain't going to die until Jesus comes. And as the years rolled on and all the other disciples started dropping, 
John was the last one of the original 12 to die. He died uh, many, many years after all the rest of them were in their graves. It sure looked like that's what the Lord said. John, of the direction of the Holy Ghost, included in this gospel, this clarification, that God never said John wasn't going to die until he comes. John said that the Lord spoke and said, if it's my will for that to happen, then what is that to be? If it's my will for that church in the next town to be a church of 500, but your church is never going to be more than 50, what is that to be? I've heard missionaries talk about going to foreign lands, and after six or seven or eight years of labor, they won three. And another missionary goes to another part of the world, and in about six months, they've got 3,000. But what is that to thee? If the Lord sent you to that city, and there's going to be three for a decade, then go preach to the three. Go teach to the three. If God sent you, and there's going to be 3,000, then go and preach to the 3,000. Even... The Bible tells us Apollos came to water and Paul came and planted. Oh, but God gives the increase. It's the work of the Lord. He looked at Peter. Peter, this calling is between me and you. This purpose is between me and you. Peter, I want you to do what I've called you to do. Second Peter chapter 1. It is not the least bit ironic that it would be the Apostle Peter that would write these words. Music begins to come. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that obtain like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that called you unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Look at the words that he begins to write. And beside this, beside what? All the great and precious promises. Being a part of this great and wonderful thing called the church and all the wonderful works that he's going to do through it. Here's Peter's instructions. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. <coughs> And to virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, temperance. To temperance, patience. To patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, this real close, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. I felt for a long time in my life that if, if, if I know that I'm in the will of God, I'm not really afraid. That's where I have my trouble. It's when I'm not sure and, I, and, and I'm not convinced that I'm in the will of God. But I know that God's going to perform what He wants to if I'm in His will. Peter says, make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I'll not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them to be established in the present truth. Peter learned this a very hard way, but he finally learned it. He wants you and I to learn it too. You have a purpose. You have a calling that is unique to who you are. And God wants you to pursue it with all of your might. Regardless of how you think it measures up to what somebody else is doing. Regardless of what you think this church is doing as it relates to some other church. We are here to do what God has put us here to do. Because one day, all of us, all of us are going to heaven. Yeah, I think you need to, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put on this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Your salvation, your relationship with God, your calling and your purpose in this world, it's about this man, not that one. It's about this man and not the one behind you and not the one beside you. God has called you to a place. God has called you to a purpose. God has called you to do great things. But he wants you to realize, Peter, just do what I've called you to do. Be who I've made you to be. These altars are open. Somebody needs to come and make their calling sure. Somebody needs to come and make their election sure. Somebody needs to come and reconnect with the God and get your eyes on all the things around you. Get your eyes on Him. Get your eyes on His kingdom. Get your eyes on His purpose. God has a great work for you. God has a great calling for you. He wants you to do it today. He wants you to pursue it today. Would you come? Would you come in the name of Jesus?